Amen. All right. Hey, I want to welcome everybody today and um, as we celebrate Father's Day. So happy Father's Day to um, all the dads out here. I came in today and, and I got my first Father's Day present, a cup of coffee. And, uh, and, and, and not, not for my children because Kenny and Regina are not young enough to be my children. Um, <clears throat> siblings, yes. Parents, no. Um, but, uh, but anyway, I, you know, I, I'm pretty sure they gave it to me because they liked me, though. Um, either that or they wanted me to finish really fast. So one or the other, I'll take both, and, and we're going to go with that. But as, as, um, as we do, as we celebrate Father's Day, I was, I was thinking my dad would be 94 um, if, if he were living today. So that's or almost 94. He died in 1997, uh, less than a year after we moved up here. Um, he was just shy of his 71st birthday. And then, uh, um, so my mom remarried, uh, John passed away, my stepfather a couple years ago, and, and so um, it's, it's kind of interesting, you know, my brother and I, we talk and, and different things, but I think, wow, we're like the oldest guys in the family now, and, um, and, and he's old, but I'm not, so, you know, it's just kind of one of those things, but, um, but anyway, um, as, as we celebrate Father's Day today, I'm excited that we have our kids here today, all of them. I don't remember the last time all of our children were home and, and spouses, and, and so um, that's, that's uh, kind of been a coronavirus blessing for us. So, you know, you can count it all bad or you can count it all good. So we're going we're gonna to count it good today and, and just say that. But um, so we're uh, in the book of Ruth. We've been going through the book of Ruth for three or four weeks now, and, and we're in chapter two, so this must be week four. And, and we're in chapter two of Ruth, and, and we're going to uh, get our first introduction to Boaz, um, one of the main characters of the book. And, and as we do that, we're going to see that, that um, he and Ruth, basically, they're going to be the main, the main show for the rest of it. But, um, but it's an amazing picture we see today of unconditional love. And, and that's what we've been talking about, unconditional love or hesed love, God's covenant lo- love towards us, this love that, that loves without expecting anything in return. This love that loves, not because it gets something from it, but because it is love. And, and it's just a very much the character of, of God. And, and it's a characteristic that we find in his people. So as we come in there and, and we look at this story, you know, chapter one is really bleak. You've got Ruth, or not Ruth, but you've got Naomi and Elimelech. They leave with their two sons, frailty and sickly, and, and you know, they go down there. The son's married, the husband dies, the two sons die. The, the mother's left with two Moabite wives, uh, daughters-in-law, and, and so she's got these two daughter-in-laws, and, and here we are, and as we come in, we're going to see this guy Boaz, and, and with this guy Boaz coming into the story, we're almost immediately, as we read the story, um, it, it picks up, the tone of it picks up, and, and we see that there's something good about to happen. So there's a whole lot in these 16 verses. There's no way we'll cover it all. As a matter of fact, I was thinking while I was preaching the first time, oh, I left that out, oh, I left that out, oh, I left that out, and realized, oh, okay, just take a deep breath. We'll come back next week, and we'll pick it up, and we'll finish it. But um, this week, we're going to read the, these 16 verses and come in and just look at three things real simple in, in here that, uh, that as we come through the text. And so in, in Ruth chapter chapter 2, it says, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. 
And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come on to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one. But keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her the roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves, do not reproach her and also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So look at three things today. And the first one is, is that I can always trust that God is at work. We can always trust that God is at work regardless of the situation. When we begin chapter two, it's it really, it's a bleak, bleak situation. And, and we begin the chapter with this introduction of Boaz. And Boaz just happens, it says, you know, the first sentence, when now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. This is important information. And, and we begin to see this, this happening. We come back to that, but, but hang on to it because Ruth immediately sets out to go and glean among the ears um, of grain, the grain that's out there so that um, she can provide for herself and for Naomi. And, and she says, I want to go wherever I can find someone who will show me favor. I want to go glean in the field of him who will show me favor um, or in whose sight I find favor. So this is her plan is, is she's going to go and she's saying, I'm going to go until I find someone who looks favorably upon me and lets me glean in their field. They let me come in and provide for us to, to give us food to eat because we're going to starve here in Bethlehem. There's a harvest going on and the house of bread is full of bread again, but our cupboards are pretty bare and we need something to eat. So, so she's coming in to do this and it just so happens as she does that she wanders into the field of Boaz who is not Naomi's relative but her 
deceased husband's relative, Elimelech's relative. So as, as we come in, Boaz knows that, that his relative in his clan, Elimelech, had married this woman, Naomi. And he knows that Naomi has come back and brought back a Moabite uh, daughter-in-law. And, and he understands the story here. But it just so happens that when all of this takes place, here's where she lands. She lands in the field of Boaz, and then not only that, afterwards, shortly thereafter, here comes into the field this man, Boaz. So Boaz, he's not, you know, he's not the guy who's out cutting the grain. He owns the field. He has people who, who do that for him. So they come in, and, and we see all of it, and, and it just so, um, and it says, it just, she happened. She chanced upon chance to come in to Boaz's field is what, what the scriptures tell us. So as we come in, you look at all of it, you go, wow, there's a lot of coincidences happening here, aren't there? This is pretty amazing that, you know, you would travel in, you go to Bethlehem, and then all of a sudden, uh, my father-in-law, who is deceased, his relative has this field, and, and I just wandered out into one of the fields and, and out in there. They didn't have them fenced off. They just had, you know, plot, 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 and you might own this plot and that plot, but, but they, they would sow all the way to the edges, and then you would know where your boundaries were, and you would stay within your boundaries, and she just happened to go in the checkerboard of it all and here she lands in Boaz's field so in um, in Jewish thought they, they wouldn't think that this was a coincidence in in Proverbs 16 the proverb says lot is cast into the lap but it's every decision is from the Lord the Jewish people believed that that God directed their history that he was with them that he was working that he was moving among them that that he is we talked about the sovereignty of God and and, and that he is the God of providence and, and sovereignty that that he makes things happen so as we looked at that last week the sovereignty of God the omnipotence of God in the story this week we begin to see it unfold we see how it is taking place in, in such a very real and, and practical way so there's some interesting coincidences that, that we've talked about here first Boaz is, is Elimelech's relative secondly Boaz is a man of upstanding character he's not just a guy who's a, you know you can have a family member who you, you don't really want to talk about right but um, Boaz is not that guy. He's the guy that people are proud of. They're proud to be related to him. So he's a man of upstanding character. Um, he's, he's well off. And, and he's also of the same clan as Elimelech. So the clan in, in Israelite society as a group was the most significant group. This was the group where you were close. And this was the group where everything happened. And his property was inside this clan. So they descended from a common ancestor. They had close familial relationships, and, and they held the land as a group. So there are quite a few things coming together in rapid fashion in the story as, as we come in, you know, four little short chapters, and, and we say, you know, there's a whole lot in the backstory that we just don't know all the details of. But, but as we come in here, everything is, is taking place, and, and, and Bo, uh, Ruth, she, she really, she doesn't really know. She just doesn't know. You know, she's like, hey, uh, Naomi, mom, I'm, I'm going to go out and I'm going to see if I can't uh, get some food for us to eat. I'm going to see if I can't scrounge something up and somebody hopefully will be nice enough to let me pick up the stuff that fell on the ground and, and I can come back and we can maybe have enough to fill our bellies tonight. So, so this is kind of where her brain is. And Boaz, on the other hand, he knows all about Ruth. I mean, when, when we come in to the story... 
um, he says, I, I know who you are. I know about Naomi. I know what's taking place here. And, and when he asks the foreman, he comes, who is the woman? And he goes, oh, it's Ruth, the Moabite. It's the Moabite who came back with Naomi. You know, the one everybody's been talking about. Oh, that's Ruth. I know about Ruth. We know the story here. We know that she left Moab and, and came with uh, Limelech and uh, or came with uh, Naomi. We know that she did this. We know that, that we, we still, you know, that's, that's an amazing thing. We know of her, her faith, her love for Naomi. We know of her turning to follow God. We, we know all the story. We know what's going on. And, and so as, as we come in here, Ruth, um, Boaz is well aware of the plight of Ruth and Naomi. And as we come in here, the other thing that we know is God's never lost sight. God has never lost sight of what's going on in the lives of, of his people. And, and in this dark time of, of the judges, as we come in, we see this story that's, that's a bright spot unfold. Um, in, in John chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus was, was in, a, in a discussion, but, but in it all, he said, my father is always working, or my father is working until now and I am working. He said, you know, this... this that, that God is always at work. God is not, he doesn't sleep. He doesn't take a day off. He doesn't create and turn around and just leave things. He doesn't leave us to our own devices. Instead, he is a God who is active and involved in our lives and in humanity and, and in our world. And, and so the, the Jewish people understood this. They understood that, that, um, that, that this was not just something to brush off as coincidence, but to look, where is God moving here? What is God doing? Ruth, on the other hand, she may or may not have been aware of it. Um, she's very new to Judaism. She's very new to the faith of, of these people around her. She comes from a different culture. Um, her culture may be similar to that. Uh, if you remember the story of the Philistines getting the Ark of, of God when the Ark of the Covenant went to the Philistines. And, and so the Philistines, they had it in, in um in Ekron and then in Gath and, and everywhere it went, they got all these, the people would get tumors on them and they'd say, man, get this thing out of here and they'd send it to the next town and everybody would get sick with tumors. And, and finally they said, man, we got to get rid of this thing. It's causing us all kinds of grief. So they, they bring it and they put it, put it together and they decide to send it out and they bring the religious guys in and the religious leaders say, hey, you can't just send off the Ark of God. You got to send an offering with it. So they say, we'll do an offering. And they come up with a really cool offering. We'll do five tumors. Make five golden tumors for them. Isn't that crazy? I mean, like, here's your offering of golden tumor. That's sick. Um, and, and so they send these five golden tumors, and then to top it off, and we'll send them five rats to go along with it. And I just think, wow, no wonder we call these people the Philistines. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind, of a, kind of a weird deal. But, but then he said, so then we'll put it on a cart. And then we'll take two cows that have never pulled a yoke before. So they've never been yoked up and pulled. And, and we'll put them on there. And, and then we'll take their calves off of them that are still nursing. And we'll see if they leave. And if they leave, and they leave their calves behind, and they've never been on a yoke, and they just kind of docilely go off and take these things back to Israel, we'll know that God's in it. You know, so that's kind of how they thought. So we don't really know. How does Ruth think? Does she kind of think? And is that the way her brain works? We, we just don't really know. But it's kind of another one of those things in the story that she come in and go, yeah, I wonder what she was thinking. 
I wonder how she saw this. I wonder, you know, and we look and we can tell, you know, well, Boaz, this is, he's Jewish. This is Jewish thought. This is how it works. But, but we don't really know exactly whether Ruth has fully come in and, and comprehended this before. But, um, but regardless of that, she's stepping out in faith. She is stepping out in faith as she goes out to do this. And, and God is working even when it seems like everything is against her. And, and it's the same with us. God is working in our lives even when it seems like everything is against us. Or as, as Daniel said earlier, you know, I, I look and I see and I, you know, I don't want to acknowledge. I, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. It's just right now in, in the pain that I'm in, I don't see God at work. But, but we know in, in, in life, as, as we step back and look, like we look into the story, um, Ruth was in a very, very horrible circumstance. So was Naomi. But we look at it today and we look, you know, we can see God at work. We can see God at work. We can see God weaving the story. We can see God working in her life and doing things that, um, that are amazing. So um, as we come in and, and look and, and kind of apply that to ourselves, when, when you look around, do you see God at work? Do you see God at work around you? Do you see the hand of God doing things in, in the midst of what's taking place in, in your life and, and in the lives of those around you in good circumstances and bad circumstances? Or maybe better yet, do you believe that God is always at work? Do you believe that God is always at work regardless of whether things are up or down? Do you believe that? And then the second thing is that God commands us to care for those at risk. God commands us to care for those at risk. Now, that's not written out in the story, but it's the principle that comes out of the story. Because as you come in and you look, Boaz cares for Ruth. She is a person at great risk in this community. In this short introduction, we not only see God at work, but, but we see that Ruth, she has a lot to fear. There's a lot for her to fear in this story as, as we come in. For instance, there are several references to her ethnicity in the story. As you come in, it said Ruth the Moabite. The author, he doesn't just say Ruth. He says Ruth the Moabite and, and lets us know. And, and when, um, the, when, when Boaz asked, whose woman is this in the field? Whose young woman is this? His foreman says, well, she's the Moabitess. She's Ruth, the Moabitess, Naomi's daughter-in-law, the Moabitess. And, and when, when Ruth speaks to Boaz in that little short sentence later on, she says, how did you notice me, a foreigner? Um, and, and so you come in and you begin to see several references to it. So it really probably suggests to us, the author's probably trying to suggest, that, that she's an ethnic outsider and she's also a single woman in a patriarchal society. So she's got two strikes against her. One, as a Moabite, she wasn't welcome. She wasn't, you know, people didn't just love the Moabites in Israel. That, that was not the way that it worked. They had some serious tensions between these two people groups. And, and so she's an outsider. And then also in the ancient Near East, a single woman was at, at great risk if she had no one, if she had no protector. Um, she would need either a husband or a father to protect her. Ruth had neither. 
She had neither. So she was at risk because this, this society was dominated in that way. So we see four different mentions in the passage. You can go through and count them of Boaz's protection of Ruth from his workers that, that highlight this. It highlights his desire to protect her, to cover her, or to watch over her. He says to his workers, don't abuse her. Don't speak harshly to her. Don't... Um, he tells them that, um, that they are not to reproach her or to rebuke her. Um, they are not to physically abuse her or verbally abuse her is, is the force of the language that, that he uses there. Even though she's a foreigner and a woman, you will not take advantage of this human being in my field because we are not that type of people. We do not think that way. We do not believe that way. The principle is basically is understanding that we are all human beings created in the image of God. And as human beings created in the image of God, collectively, we reflect the image of God and the glory of God to all of those around us. And, and that means male, female, um, all different races and ethnicities together we reflect the glory of God the beauty of God and and who he is and it's a clear reminder for us today that there's no place there's absolutely no place among God's people for any type of prejudice or abuse there's no place for that and as we come in you know Kenny talked about our our culture our country and and we are we're pretty isolated from things up in Alaska but but as you come in and and you look at all you go what in the world is it and and look there's no political solution to this there is no political solution because we are sinful human beings and sinful human beings make stupid decisions and the only cure for it all is Jesus. That's it, pure and simple. That is it. And it's when God's people respond in the way that God calls us and commands us to, to love one another and to treat one another as Boaz is treating this foreigner, as Boaz is treating this person who is of a different ethnicity from himself and treating her with dignity, respect, love, and, and, and covenant love, a really hesed of unconditionally accepting and loving her. Until we come to that point, we'll always have problems. And the only way we make it to that point is through Jesus. We can't fix it with a political fix. We can't fix it with a judicial fix. You can't count on that. Those things will not, cannot happen. I'm not saying you can't be involved in it, but I'm just saying that if you're putting your eggs in that basket, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your effort. The basket that we got to put our eggs in is Jesus Christ. Crucified, buried, and risen to change hearts, to change lives, and to help us to understand who we are as image bearers of God. So God commands us as we come in here, Boaz is a beautiful picture of that, and, and he comes in and he shows us that this is what it means not only to be human, but to be a human created in the image of God, to reflect the image of God, and to respect those who are created in the image of God also in a loving way. In Acts 10, 34 and 35, Peter explains it this way when the Gentiles come to Christ. He says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. After Peter looks at Cornelius, he wouldn't even go into the house 
of a Gentile. And God told him that you need to get over it, Peter. I created these people in my image. And they're not unclean. They're people who need to know me. And Peter went and did this. And he went and ate with them. And and this is an amazing thing that took place. Because these people start coming to Christ. In James 2.9, James put it this way. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin. And are convicted by the law as transgressors. So as we come in, we see Boaz just living this out back, you know, 3,000 years ago, way, way, way back when. But, you know, the truth of the matter is we haven't changed, have we? The heart of man has not changed. It's still the same. It's still in dire need of a Savior and, and to be changed and redeemed. And that comes through the unconditional of love, love of God shown to us in Christ Jesus. So the story also highlights another thing as we come in there. And it's God working through his people through this whole gleaning process. When God commands us to care for those who are at risk, um, he can't, commands us also to care for those with great need. And, and if you come in and you look at this from the very beginning, God, who as the owner of all things, he puts this principle into practice. So God comes in and, and he begins to tell the people, this is how you are to care for your field. And, and he says, when you do your field, um, you who old, hold earthly title to it, there's some things that I want you to understand. First of all, you don't get to cut all of the grain and keep it. The grain that's in the edges of the field and right along the borders, you leave it. And that's going to be in there for the sojourner, for the stranger, for the alien, um, for, for the poor. So they can come in and gather some food. If you drop it on the ground, you can't go back and pick it up. you got to leave it there. We see Boaz, he comes in and he tells his, his harvesters, um, they would come in and they would grab the, grab the grain with one hand and they would take the knife and cut it off and they would stick it in and they would hold it and then they would take the bundles and they would set the bundles down in piles. The girls would come and gather it and they would come shake the grain and do all the stuff that you do with grain and in there you'd have all these piles and then you might have a few morsels in between that fell off of the heads and that's what the gleaners would come and get. That's what the poor people would come and get. That's what the people who were at risk would come to get. And, and so as they would come to get this... Um, Boaz, he just says, hey, um, by the way, I know that you're really good at your job, but why don't you drop a few sheaves along the way for her to pick up? And, and, and as a matter of fact, why don't you just leave a few standing for her to do that? I know that's not your normal custom, but that's the way we flow. And, you know, that's the way that it works in, in my field. That's the way it goes because I care about other people. Now, now we look at that and we think, wow, that's, that's, um, that's amazing. But uh, why, why would you not maximize your profit? And God said, the reason you don't maximize your profit is because it's not your profit. To begin with, it's my profit. The field belongs to me. The grain belongs to me. You belong to me. And if you think otherwise, come talk to me in about 200 years and, and we'll explain to you that that field's no longer in your name. It's in someone else's name. You died. You went along. And the field's still there. The field's mine. I own the field. I care for the field. Everything that comes off the field belongs to me. You're just taking care of it for a while. You're the steward. I'm the owner. You're the steward. And this is what God is, is teaching the people through this, that he is the owner of all things and that we are the stewards and that we care for those people that are created in the image of God. In Leviticus 9, 19, 9 and 10, God explains it 
to them and he says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your field. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Um, because God says, I want to provide for the poor people. I want to provide food for them. I want to provide dignity for them. I want to provide work for them. I don't want you to give them something without them having to have any skin in the game. I want them to work just like every else works and I want them to receive a wage for that I want to care for them and I'm providing them a way to do that in my economy in Israel this is the way that it works so this is how it comes in Boaz understands this and Boaz takes it to the next step and the people in Israel understand this so it comes in and, and it begins to make a, this picture of what's happening and in the midst of it all God has been working and he's continuing to work. And Ruth ends up in this field of Boaz, who is not only a man who follows the law of God, he takes it to the next level. He is a gracious man and, he, and she finds favor in his sight and he cares for people who have nothing to offer to him. He cares about them. He cares for them. He understands the principles of God's laws concerning the sojourner and the poor. And, and he understands the need to protect the defenseless. He says, in my, in my labor force, we don't abuse the laborers. We don't take advantage of someone. And we see that and, and we understand that. And, and we also see, we just throw it in, in the beginning, this detail thrown in, he's of the clan of Elimelech. And that's going to come back in chapter 4. We'll see the importance of that. But, um, but that's in there because the agenda of God is also being fulfilled as we come through this story. Because at the end of it, remember, Ruth becomes part of the lineage of Jesus. Boaz is part of this lineage. So Boaz has to be in this lineage as we come in. So we see a great man of character in Boaz. And we see a man who loves, who loves unconditionally, who cares about others. He is a man of compassion and caring. So as, as we come in and, and we look at Boaz and, and look at ourselves, what, what groups of people within our community, who are the people around us who are at risk? Who are they? The people who don't look like us, the people who aren't on our socioeconomic level, or the people who are at greatest risk of harm or disaster. Who are those people? How do we reach out to them? It could be people at economic risk, at risk um, ethnically, at risk of being exploited. Um, whatever that might be or look like, there, there are all kinds of groups of people that would fall in to that category. And, and who are these people? And how do we share the love of Christ with them in real and practical ways so that they will understand what unconditional love is and not only have their needs met, but also be drawn to the, to the Christ who loves and cares for us. And then the final thing is, is my actions are a reflection of the God or gods that I serve. Um, so not look at that and go, why, why the typo slash thing? It's not a typo slash thing. We either serve the Lord God of heaven and earth who created all things, who made us in his image, or we worship the gods of the age. It's just pure and simple. We worship one or we worship the other. It's a very simple statement. Boaz is a godly man. It's reflected in his actions towards Ruth. Look, the, the only thing you really see um, here is, is Boaz coming in. When you see his faith, he, he speaks to his workers. He said, the Lord 
bless you. This greeting that he gives to them, and they say this back to him. You see that these are, are people of God. They're, they're proclaiming the name of God and their blessing um, upon one another and so forth. But it's not really ostentatious or way out there. It's, it's very simple. And, and you come in, but, but you understand that, that he's, a, he's a man of God. And, and he does this. So he's a godly man. But really, while, how, how we see this is not what's written about his thoughts or his beliefs, but it's by his actions. It's what he does, right? You look at Boaz and go, wow, this is a great guy. He's, he's a good guy. He cares about other people. You see, Boaz could have come into the field. He could have walked up to his foreman said, hey, how's it going? How many bushels do we have? You know, how are the workers doing? Do we have anybody that's slacking? Anybody that, you know, you having any problems? Do you need any more workers? Um, you know, how about food? How are you supplied? Water? Da, 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 you know, and, and taking care of the business side of it and going on. But he didn't. He came in. He, he stops. He greets the workers. He takes the time to acknowledge them. To, um, to speak a blessing upon them. He notices the woman in the field. He goes, who's this? I don't know her. I've not seen her before. So you know that Boaz is someone who's, who's aware of the people who work for him. And, and he cares about them. And, and then he sees Ruth. And, and then he chooses, instead of just to go on, he chooses instead to bless her and to bless Naomi and to show them compassion. So, so we see... Boaz, through his actions, just through the way that he acts, the things that we've talked about today, these are all actions that show that he's a godly man. And then through Ruth, she has also made herself known through her actions towards Naomi. So the other side of the story is everybody knows about Ruth. Why do they know about Ruth? They don't know about her just because she's a Moabite. They don't know about her just because she came back with Naomi. They know because they go, this is bizarre. Why is she caring for her? Why would a Moabite do this for an Israelite? Why? 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 What's going on? What's the story here? And, and then they see her out in the field and, and she's putting herself at risk. They go, Doesn't she know that you know, bad things could happen to a single woman out here in these fields with all these men? And, and she goes out and she says, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to go and I'm going to do this. And, and so this is a story that, <clears throat> that shows that she has shown love, unconditional love to her mother-in-law, Naomi. So Boaz said, I heard how you left everything to go with Naomi and to care for her. I've heard it. May God bless you. So their actions reflect who they are. Or as Jesus puts it in Matthew 15, uh, 15 verses 18 through 20, he says, but whatever comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, Theft, false witness, slander, these are what defile a person, but to, eat what, to, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. What Jesus was saying is, he's saying, he's, they're talking about foods and, you know, can you eat this or that or whatever. He just says, look, what you eat doesn't make you a good or bad person. What's inside your heart reveals who you are. It's your actions. The way that you think impacts the way that you act. It impacts your heart. It impacts the way that you treat other people. It impacts your ethics. It impacts your morality. It impacts everything about you. And, and those are your gods. You see, if your God is the Lord God of heaven and earth, 
it's going to impact your actions. It's going to change the way that you act towards other people. So our actions reflect our hearts, and our hearts reflect our God's. That's, that's the principle that, that we see here. And Jesus said that, that we're the salt. <clears throat> he says, you know, you're, you're, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. And, and he says that um, if we lose our saltiness, if we forget this, he said, you know, if you forget it, if you forget that you're the salt of the earth, then you, you're not, you're not going to be able to do what you're made to do. You're not going to be able to accomplish the purpose. In Matthew 5, 13 through 16, Jesus said, You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do a people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So as we come in and, and you read those 16 verses, you're going to see a lot of salt and light happening there. You're going to see a lot of action in these characters as they come in. And, and the action really comes back to this thing of unconditional love and, and this theme that's in this book woven throughout of unconditional love, of covenant love, the kind of love that God has shown to us in Christ Jesus. Because when it comes down to the very bottom line, Jesus gave us what we don't deserve, right? He gave us life. We don't deserve it. He gave us forgiveness. We don't deserve it. He made this deal with us that, um, you know, in, in, my, in my mind, when I look at it, I go, you know, Jesus, Jesus made a bargain with me, so to speak. When he died on, a, on the cross and, and was buried and rose again, he purchased something and gave me the offer of receiving that gift. And, and he gave me his righteousness and I gave him my sin and shame. I just think, man, I won that, I won that deal. I won that bargain. You know, have you ever heard somebody say that they go to car lot? They say, man, I got a smoking deal at the car lot. No, you didn't. Nobody gets smoking a lot at the car lot. Look, hey, I know, I've been to the car lot. And if you got a smoking deal going to the car lot, the car lot wouldn't be there anymore. That's how they build those big buildings. You know, somebody's winning there, and it's not the people coming in. Don't, no, don't mean to bust your bubble. Now, a few of you, you might make money wheeling and dealing. But I'm just saying, in general, you don't... You, you, look, whenever I go to a car lot, I've just got the feeling I'm about to get soaked. Don't do it. Just, just don't even go. Just keep driving what you have forever. When the wheels fall off, get another one, and then you'll go get soaked. No, man, that's, that's the way it is, right? That's what I think. I think Jesus just got soaked, man. I mean, outside of that's really bad theology. But, but you know, for my mind, I think, you know, I got a really great deal, and he just he got left behind. Well, you also, the other side of it is the glory of God is made known through what he did. And it's made known for all the world to see. So ultimately, yeah, he wins, he always wins, and we win with him. But what an amazing picture of unconditional love and, and how that flows out. And this is what God calls us to do. It's, it's when we love others without expecting anything in return, when we love others, not because of what we can get from it, 
but because what we can give. And that's really the character of Christ, isn't it? He loved us, not he loved us first, not because we loved him, but because he is love. That is the very essence of God. And, and that is who he is. So, you know, when we talk about, you know, we're people bringing school supplies to send to Liberia this week and next week so that they can, with Dave and Trudy can pass those out when they go over and, and when, they're te- when Trudy's teaching at the school and Sylvia wanting a couple of sewing machines to take to give to the ladies, they're, they're saying, you know what, it's, it's kind of like us allowing them to glean. We're going to go out and, and they're going to go and, and learn, children are going to learn how to read and to write, and, and to be able to be educated, and that's going to give them a leg up in the world. And it's going to help them to rise out of poverty. And they're going to have some skin in the game as they do that. And then as they teach some, they're going to give the sewing machines to some women, and they're going to be able to sew stuff, and they're going to be able to make money and buy food, and, and to be able to build themselves up and, and grow their economy and their understanding and so forth. And, and really, at the essence of it all, we're not doing it just for those reasons we're doing it simply because we love because we're not getting anything in return from that these are people we'll never see these are people we'll never know we'll hear, hear a story we might get a video back or something along those lines but why do we love we love because jesus loved us and and we do this and we show unconditional love in that so so that's that's a an example of it but look out and see how are we salt and light in our community how are you salt and light in our community how do your words and your actions how do my words and my actions reflect Christ how do they reflect Jesus how do my words and my actions reflect Jesus and how do my words and my actions align with my stated beliefs better yet do my words and my actions align with what I say my theology is, what I say my beliefs are? Do they affirm my relationship with Jesus? Because you see, we, we know, <clears throat> we all know, honestly, <laughs> you don't have to know somebody very long to make a judgment, do you? Just don't have to look, and and you know what? There's nothing. That's smart. It's smart. It's really smart to look at someone and to watch them and to know. You see, maybe how they treat their employees, how they treat their wife or their husband or their children, how they treat the people around them, and, and you see somebody, and if if they don't pass that test, you know, ooh, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm going to be careful around this person. There's nothing wrong with that. That's wise. Jesus said, be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. You know, he said, you better watch out. doesn't mean that we um, treat them badly or anything. It just says that, that um, you want to be careful. You don't want to do business with a crook, right? Um, <clears throat> so, so we can see that. And the reality is people can see that in us as well. And so as we come in, we, we are able to look at the one side of the picture, but we need to look at it from the other side. How do people view me? When they see me, do they see Christ? Do they see unconditional love? Do they see this Hesed love that we see woven throughout this little short story of Ruth? Do we, see, do we exude that from, from our innermost being, or do we show 
something else because this is what God wants to do in us. He wants to do in us just like he did in Boaz, just like he did in Ruth, just like he did through numerous other people throughout the scripture. He wants to use us to make himself known to the world. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning praising you and thanking you for the amazing blessings that you've given to us. Father, for the life that we have in Christ Jesus. Father, for the hope that we have not in our own works or our own um, abilities or our own resources, but our hope in what you've done for us in the life that we have in you through your grace and your mercy, through your son, Jesus. Father, we pray that we would show that love to the people around us in our community. We pray that we would be a people who show the world what it means to love Christ, to, to follow him, and to be people who are living out what it truly means to be created in the image of God. Help us, Father, to be the people that you've called and created us to be. And we thank you for the blessings that you've poured out on us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as Greg leads us?
All right, hey, I want to mention a couple things before we close. One, um, next Sunday, right after this service, there's going to be a meeting for children's Sunday school teachers. If you're not one, you should be one. Um, so be here at that meeting. We're, we're looking to add some extra so that we can have a rotation and do a month at a time um, of teaching. And then the other thing is 6.30 on Wednesday nights, we're having praise out under the pavilion. So if you want to come, be sure if the weather's bad, we'll cancel. So you can find that on Facebook, usually by 4 o'clock if it's going to be canceled. So they'll be on there by four o'clock that we cancel, but be a good time. Come on out there. We did it this week. It was a lot of fun. Um, we're closed now in a word of prayer and 